All right, Exodus 13. 13, we'll get to 14 too. So we, we got to the, um, the 10th plague last week. Lord instituted the Passover. We really spent some time going through the Passover, the Seder meal. You know, the, the interesting thing is that this was the first Passover in Exodus 12. And, and to, from that time, 3,500 years of Passovers God's people have celebrated to bring us to today. And so the uh, brings us to chapter 13. And we're going to see the nation of Israel, the, the angel of the Lord has come through and killed every firstborn in Egypt. There's a tremendous cry throughout all of Egypt over the, the death of the firstborn. And now Pharaoh and his people are ready to see the nation of Israel um, leave. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast... It is mine. Everybody say, it is mine. Says the Lord. Says the Lord. So the, the idea of first fruits is a biblical principle all the way through. God wants the first fruits of your life. He, in, in every area of your life, he wants you to give him first. And what did Jesus say in Matthew six thirty three? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are these things? How many of you guys in here are single tonight and asking God for, for a companion or a spouse? That's these things. How many of you guys, you know, are having trouble at work and need a raise or, or need a different job? That's these things. How many of you are having troubles in your marriage, in your home, with your kids, with your grandkids? Those are these things. And so many times we, we seek the things that in life that we want. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he knows what these things are. He's given you these desires. God's going to take care of them. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The idea of, of again, giving first fruits to the Lord is, is a principle all the way through in our lives. In our finances, in our time, in our efforts, in everything we do, God desires your first fruits and your best. And, and here he's telling the, the um, nation of Israel that the firstborn male child beast and and anything that opens the womb children beast is his and then he says and moses said to the people remember this day in which you went out of egypt out of the house of bondage for by strength of hand the lord brought you out of this place no leavened bread shall be eaten so this is part of the passover celebration from passover to first fruits and moses on verse four it says and on this day you were going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Do, do you guys know um, what what the nation of or what Israel looked like when they got there? And no doubt it had pockets, right? Because we Canaanites were there and Joshua and Caleb came back with the fruit, um, the, the grapes on the thing. But when the, when the nation of Israel got there, it was a desert. It, it was in terrible shape. When, when they came back in Aliyah in 1948, it, w- it was nothing there. It was terrible. It was a desert. It was, it was rocky and, and, and the worst, you know, land in the, you know, in the world. It was just nothing there. And it wasn't any different when, when Joshua and Caleb and the nation of Israel finally did cross over the Jordan. And so when God says, I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey, they didn't get there and it was done. They didn't get there and, you know, turnkey in their houses and their vineyards and everything was just done and they just went and chilled. 
It had potential to be a land flowing with milk and honey, but they had to go and get to work. Not only did they have to fight the giants, but then they had to till the ground and do the work, and, and it had potential and it did eventually flow with milk and honey, as God promised. So in our building, you know, and as we look at crossing over the vine, it's the same thing. That's a building that's flowing with milk and honey. You don't know it today, but it has potential to flow with milk and honey. And it says in verse 6, Seven days you shall eat, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. Somebody underline this. And no leavened bread shall be eaten for communion. Among you, just kidding, among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. In verse 8 it says, And you shall tell your sons in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. So you can underline in verse 8, tell your sons. And fathers, mothers, I want to tell you to tell your sons. And there's a thing where all the way through, one of the things God did, and all the feasts, and everything that He did, and everything that He instituted, and everything that God laid out throughout the years, there was this um, plan of God orchestrated within it that would pass it on from generation to generation in such a way that the kids would ask questions, that God was reminding the fathers, hey, tell your sons why we're doing this. Remind them of those things that God has done in their lives. And and remind them of those things that are happening. And He built in this this training program for the the next generation. And it shall come to pass, and it shall be as a sign on you on your head and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth with a strong hand, and the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. You can write down there in verse 10, 3,500 years. That's how long ago that first Passover was instituted, and it's been 3,500 years that we've been celebrating those Passovers. Some of this stuff that you just read in the first section is going to repeat itself. God laid it out, and then this happens throughout the Old Testament. In a lot of these books, God lays it out, and then Moses repeats it, or then he repeats it to the people. In verse 11, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkeys you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. That's right, you read that right. God said, break its neck, and all the firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So again, the principle of first fruits, the first is God's. And he wanted the first of everything. And a donkey is an unclean animal. You couldn't, you couldn't offer the donkey as a sacrifice to the Lord, the, first, the firstborn male donkey from that. Um, you know, but what he said was, if you want to keep it, because the donkeys in those days were their pickups, right? And so he said, if you want that Chevy, you have to redeem it. And so you can take a lamb and you can sacrifice a lamb that, that redeems the, the firstborn. If you don't want to redeem it with a lamb, then you break the neck of it because it belongs to me and you can't have it. And so those things that belong to the Lord, he expected that they gave them to him. So, um, you know, your, your firstborn children, your firstborn son belonged to the Lord. I remember when Luke was born. When, when uh, Lydia was in labor with Luke, um, I'm a young dad, I'm first boy, I'm super excited, you know, and I was pretty arrogant, you know, and telling everybody, you know, when Lydia first got pregnant, it's a boy, I don't know, it's a boy, my first one's a boy, and then when it was a boy, I was like, yeah, it's a boy, you know, and I was just super excited, and God had given Lydia and I his name when we first met, you know, even before we were married, you know, we just, we knew our first son was going to be called Luke, God had given us that name, and um, and, and when... When Lydia was in labor, we had a real scare. 
and and the baby's they uh, the baby's heart rate dropped, and Lydia was on her side and she was throwing up and nurses and doctors were running in and and you know they were getting ready to I don't know emergency um, C-section and and the baby wasn't responding and um, it was just a scary moment you know there was no heartbeat and you know and the way the nurses and the doctors were reacting as they were running in and beeping things were going off and um, you know it was scary and I can remember I went in the bathroom of that hospital room and I got on my knees and, and I said Lord we we dedicated him to you from conception and from birth and if you take him now, he's yours. But if you give him to me, I'll give him back to you. And he'll serve you all the days of his life. And was able to commit Luke to the Lord from, from, from birth, you know. And, and then God allowed some, some scary moment there to see if I was serious when I told God that he was his. And, you know, and, and ever since then, really, you know, we just feel like, you know, Luke's got a call of God on his life. And you can see that, you know, he's God's. And, you know, I don't know, just without getting into too much, but... Um, Let's go on. And it says in verse 14, So it shall be when your son... It's a good thing that he's God's right now. Because he's 14. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they say... I worked, I worked at Joshua Springs for a lot of years, 15 years. And, um, you know, junior high is just a hard age for raising kids. And I don't know how many of you guys have kids that went through junior high and can, can attest to that or have kids coming up. But being in a school, a K-12 school, and just having parents you know, and being a pastor. And, and I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I honestly, tons and tons and tons and tons of parents over the years, when the kids, you know, who have been with us since kindergarten, when they hit junior high, we got to talk them off the fence because they're going to send them to military school and they're going to, you know, and, and, you know, we encourage them and, you know, and they get through and those same kids, we watch them, they go into the high school and their freshman year maybe can be a little bit rocky, but by the time they're sophomores, they matured, they've grown out of it. They're, they're starting to really become little young men. And then you see them graduate as seniors and they're, they're just superb young men and women at, as seniors in high school. And there's just that, that little phase, you know, and for Luke, my son, it's like, we, we just got through junior high and it was, it wasn't like that at all. It was like, it was a blessing. Like he made it, you know, and everything was great. And yeah, right. Hold my breath because now I think it started just a little late for him. He's just a, you know, they say terrible twos. And I remember with Luke, we never had any terrible twos. He was great as a two-year-old, but he was a hellion as a three-year-old. He was terrible three-year-old. So I said, well, he, he got through junior high. He didn't have the terrible junior highs. He's just going to have the terrible freshman, I guess. And so him and I have been butting heads a little bit the last couple of weeks. And... All right. So it says in verse 14, So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him by strength of hand? The Lord has brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign to a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes for by strength of hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. So that sign on your hand and your frontlets, we've talked about that in here. We have some Israel history as we've gone through. As you guys know, if you go in Israel today and you see the rabbis anywhere when it's time to pray, they bind those phylacteries on their foreheads and on their wrists. And that's where this comes from. And there's several places we'll run into it again in Deuteronomy and in, in uh, Numbers where God says that you're to bind them on your wrists and your forehead. And, you know, I don't know that it was God's intent 
attention that you would literally bind them on your forehead and on your hand. You know, I don't know, maybe would you guys feel better if I was obedient and I came to church next week and I had some duct tape with my Bible duct tape to my forehead because that's kind of what it is, you know, that's what they're doing, but that's where it comes from and that's why the rabbis and the Orthodox Jews do that to this day. And in verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although he was near, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see the war and return to Egypt. Hey, I want you to let 17 sink in what this says. It says, It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though that was near or even though that was easier and the, the, the shortest route. So there was a way that was easy. There was a way that was near from Egypt. As they left, they could have just went right across on their way to, to Israel, the promised land, right through the, the area. And God didn't lead them that way. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what does it say? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So, so the, the, the reality of life is God doesn't always lead us down the easiest path. But we have to trust that he has our best interests at hand. And, and we don't want to be like the children of Israel. And when, when, when God tells us to go left and we, we see the easy and the clear path is right and we know in our heart God's telling us to go the hard way left, don't, don't murmur and complain there and miss it because there's a reason that God has your best interest at hand. He knows. And oftentimes he's not leading us down that road for a reason. And, and for this particular reason, these, these, he, the, if they would have had to go through the Philistine land, they would have had wars and they would have had to fight. And, and that wasn't the problem. God didn't say these people don't know how to fight and they're going to get their butts kicked by the Philistines. He just said when they see war, they're going to turn back and go to Egypt because they're going to be afraid. And they're not ready for those type of battles yet. Now, he would have won the battles for him easy. That wasn't his problem. He could have, he could have taken some sticks and, and with David, he could take a stone and beat Goliath as they marched through Philistine country. But that, that wasn't the issue. These, these guys were slaves. They weren't soldiers. They weren't trained. They, they, they probably weren't... weren't educated very well, right? I mean, we're talking fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth generation of, of slaves that had been in Egypt for 400 years as they're getting ready to leave. And so there's a path that would have went right through um, Philistine. And I want to show you guys a map. I'll show you what it looks like. Now, we, we don't know. Do we have those pictures? I don't care, but I pick one. Do, we don't know um, what the path was. Is that one? The other one's probably a little easier to see. So we, we don't know for sure what the path um, and where they crossed the Jordan or where they crossed the Red Sea at. So, um, but basically what, what you're looking at is on the upper left, can you guys see in red where it says Goshen, where the, the first red arrow starts, Exodus route, upper left? Look just a little bit down, if you can read that, but that says Goshen. That's the area of Egypt where the, the, they would have worked and where, the, where they would have been when they left. So from there... If you, if, you, if, you draw, if you just go straight across, you see that body of water up there? Any idea what that body of water is? On the upper right there? That's the Dead Sea. So, so that's Israel. So they could have just went straight across, but from, from Goshen to where the Dead Sea is, all that area up there is Philistine land. That's where Gaza is. That's where Ashdod and Ashkelon and those five major Philistine cities that are mentioned throughout the Old Testament is all in that upper region right there today, which today would be northern Egypt on into Israel. So um, down here where it says Arabia, today that's modern day Saudi Arabia. That's the Red Sea. At the top of the Red Sea, it goes into this little V like that. So you see the two lines of the 
of the Red Sea. So they didn't go straight across into Israel. They come all the way down to the point. You see, they're all the way down to the point at the bottom here where it says the Straits of of Tehran, or what does that say, Tehran? Tehran, the Straits of Tehran. So down there is is a possible. There's a little white arrow that crosses the Red Sea. That's where some believe where the nation of Israel would have crossed. Some people believe it would have been up a little bit higher where that, that middle white arrow is. And then if that's the case, they probably wouldn't have come that far down. The problem is there's 40 different um, locations mentioned in this story in Exodus. Only two or three of those names translate and we know exactly where they are today. The other 37, we're not really sure. The other issue is in, you know, with anything within the, the, the records of Egypt, and Egypt kept records and they had paintings and drawings and books. But whenever, whenever those records didn't favor the pharaohs and they weren't, you know, they were a, a story where he lost or something was bad, they, they, they wouldn't record it. They wouldn't tell it. You know, and unlike the Bible, the God just lays it out exactly the way it happened. But the Egyptian historians didn't do that. They, they only told the good part of the story. Pastor Gerald used to do that. Whenever we would win a game, he would make sure we put it in the newspaper. And whenever we lost the game, he wasn't so, so, it wasn't so pushing us to put it in the newspaper. I don't know where that came from, but that's what they did. So, um, so Arabia, and then again, we, we're not really sure for sure where Mount Sinai is, but I watched a video and, and there's an area in what's today modern day Saudi Arabia. And, and it just fits, man, where the quail would have been flying low, where the water would have come out of the rock, where all that stuff would have happened for the 40 years, probably would be what's in modern day Saudi Arabia today. So right now, if we, I, I wish I put a third picture of what, of what that looks like today. Um, up there, but I don't have it. So you can pull it up on your maps if you want to. But again, where it's Arabia would be Saudi Arabia. Then straight up, and you see if you follow the green line all the way to the top, and then it crosses right over the top of the Dead Sea, and, and then it, it lands in where? Jericho. That's where the nation of Israel, we know that for sure. That's where they would have crossed um, 40 years later to go into the promised land was they crossed into Jericho. They would have crossed the Jordan River into Jericho. So they would have come from Jordan. Today, that's modern-day Jordan. The Jordan River um, in that area right there from the Dead Sea to the Sea of Galilee is the borderline between Israel and Jordan. And so they would have come through Saudi Arabia, north into Jordan, and then into the promised land is the way that, that they would have traveled. Where they crossed the Red Sea, we're not really sure. Um, like I said, there's the, the Straits of Tehran is a very good possibility. And then that middle part there is also a good possibility. Um, it, it has to fit the biblical narrative. You know, there's been lots of um, suggestions of where they crossed the Red Sea. But many of those suggestions, they, they don't fit the biblical narrative at all. You know, and, and, and the reality is the, the Red Sea, at the point they crossed, it, it couldn't, you know, in some places the Red Sea through there is 1,800 meters deep, which is 60% decline on one side, then, you know, a couple miles and then another um, 60% incline on the other side to get out. So that obviously wouldn't have worked. There's other places where it's, um, so there's a modern map of the, of the two there. So up in northern where it's green up there of uh, uh, northern Egypt. So from the green area, they would have come down the, the Gulf of Suez and then, and then cross the Red Sea on, they would have crossed the Red Sea along here somewhere. Possibly here's one spot. Possibly here's another spot. This is modern day Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Israel. This is Jordan here. So if it was here, I kind of like this spot just because it's, it's a little bit narrower and you had 2 million people and the Bible says they had to, they got through in one night. 
So for two million people to cross in one night, it couldn't have been a two, three, four mile stretch. It wouldn't have got two million people through that or five million or whatever it was, four million people through that in one night. And so um, the other thing, like I said, the water had to be a certain depth. It had to be deep enough that it would drown the, the Egyptian army and not deep enough that it would be impossible to cross on foot. And so, you know, there's other places where you have these places where it's the... Um, the reed, the reed sea, and the water's like 18 inches deep. And so many people want to explain away the miracle of the Red Sea. And, and when the wind blows in a certain time, the, 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 the reed sea is, is naturally parted. And, and, and that's where the nation of Israel crossed. And, you know, to explain away the miracles. But what would even be a greater miracle is then how God drowned the entire Egyptian army in 18 inches of water. So that, that doesn't work either. So all right, where are we at? 14 is the good part. We haven't even got there yet. We got a few minutes. Um, so again, I was just telling you guys that, uh, you know, God doesn't always lead us the easiest way, right? God leads us the way that's best for us. And he didn't lead them the easiest way through Philistine land. They went down and around. And in verse 18, it says, So God led the people around by the way of wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. You know, in the book of Genesis, as we studied the book of Genesis before this, God spent a ton of time and chapters on the life of Abraham. Very little on um, Isaac and Jacob. But when we get to, to, to Joseph, again, many chapters in the life of, Joseph, life of Joseph. Joseph and Daniel are, are two of the only characters really in the, in the Bible that God mentions no faults. Mentions no sins. Not they didn't have sins or faults, but it's not recorded for us in the life of Joseph or in the life of Daniel. Huge icons and characters in the Bible. And yet when you get to Hebrews chapter 11 and God lays out in the faith hall of fame, everybody's accomplishments, a big section about Abraham and Moses. And then when you get to Joseph, all it says that by faith, Joseph asked that his bones would not be left in Egypt. And you're like, that's the only part of his life that God recorded in, in the faith hall of fame. It seems meaningless. What is, what is, why is that even an act of faith? But, but because Joseph prophesied in Genesis chapter 50 and he saw and, and believed by faith that the nation of Israel was going to go into the promised land as God had promised. And he knew that day would come. And so he gave instructions that when they left, they should take his bones. And so Moses here, according to God's will, according to the request of Joseph, he gathered the bones of Joseph and he took them. You can make a reference in your Bible if you want there. Hebrews eleven twenty two. That's where it talks about it. Um, and then also in Joshua twenty four thirty two is where they bury Joseph's bones in, in the promised land. And in verse 20, it says, So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Ethium at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so as, as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the people. So, you know, we, we know this, but as the nation of Israel wandered around, God led them by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now, there probably would have been some cool practical application to a, a cloud cover as you went through the Sinai desert and, you know, with, with a little bit of cloud cover. We know it can be hundreds of degrees and they left in the spring. So they would have left around Passover time, which is March, April, 
time and, and not long after would have been in the heat of the summer. And so to have this cloud in the, that, that would lead you. And then also, you know, the one thing about the desert, especially in high desert climates, the temperature will drop 40 degrees at night, you know. And so having a pillar of fire at night. But it was, it was basically God's way of leading them. And it's a picture, right, of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And that's why in our Exodus thing it says Christian living in the Old Testament. And we've, we've always drawn these comparisons to these are pictures of, of how we live our Christian life today and, and battles that we face and, and real life um, examples of Christian living today. And, and as the Holy Spirit leads us and as God leads us. You know, I say, I, I say that uh, Apple owes God some royalties for their maps thing. When you have that little blue line that, you know, you follow when you're driving, you get to follow that little blue line, that little blue dot. This is God's, God's GPS system. For, for the nation of Israel and where the cloud went and the fire went so he could lead them exactly where he wanted them to go, where they would cross, you know, where they would go on their way up into Israel. And the, it never left. God kept it there. Forty years, he led them with a cloud in the day, pillar of fire at night. Some of us wish God would do that today, right? Just make it easy. Just put a cloud and I'll just follow that cloud. Some of you guys might feel like there's a cloud that follows you everywhere you go, but there, there's not. <clears throat> But you know the Lord the Lord leads just like that today. And in verse 14 or chapter 14 it says now the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-hiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon you shall camp before it by the sea. So if you guys know where that is then you can know where they cross the Red Sea. One of the things that that would be pretty obvious right to you and me would be that if if the if the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea wouldn't there be um, wouldn't there be history? Wouldn't there be um, remains at the bottom of the Red Sea of the Egyptian army? You'd think so, right? And so, you know, they have found, and, you know, it wasn't until the last hundred years. So for 30, this is 3,500 years ago. So for 3,400 years, we, we lacked the technology to find those things. And in the last hundred years, we now have cameras and things and and, and I'm giving it 100 years, but it's probably more like 40 years of tech that we've had the technology to be able to find this stuff. They've done some expeditions. They've found um, chariot wheels at, at the bottom of the Red Sea and, and, and different things. But they've, they've been under there for 3,500 3, years. So a lot of that stuff could have been... And, and it says that the, we're going to read where it says many of the bodies washed up on the shore is what, it, is what the Bible records. So that, that evidence would all be gone. But yeah, they have found evidence of chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea. And in verse 4, or verse 3, it says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. That guy has got to be the biggest knothead you ever met in human history. You finally think he got it. And, you know, we, we read last week where he said, you know, and, and bless me. And he's afraid. And he said, get out of here and, and bless me on the way out. And he's finally humbled. And, and yet just, you know, very short time later, after the people leave, he's ready to go get them back and change his mind yet again. But, you know, Pharaoh in this, in this is a picture of Satan. And he's a picture of Satan on your life. And in Luke chapter 4, it says that after the third temptation of Jesus, it says that, that Satan fled from Jesus. And then you know what it says right after that? 
waiting for a more opportune time to, to tempt him or to return. And, and so, you know, Satan does flee. And James tells us to, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. In James chapter 4. But the thing we have to understand is even though James chapter 4 says to, to resist the devil, we have to understand that he, he, he'll come back. And that he does come back. That he doesn't leave forever. I want to read it because it's really powerful scripture. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4 7. But again, as you read that, and then in Luke chapter 4 verse 13, it says that he waits for an opportune time to return. And so in verse 7 it says, Also he took 600 choice chariots, and all the chariots of the Exodus captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army overtook them. And camping by the sea besides Pi-Hiroth before Baal-Zephron. And again, we don't know where those places are today. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were what? Verse 10. They were very afraid. So the people of Tooele Springs were very afraid when we showed them the lease that we were going to cross over this Jordan. We weren't afraid, or we are afraid. We're very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they began to pray. They did the right thing to start. They began to pray and cry out to God. And then they said to Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt? Is that why you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have, you, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is not, the, is not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. You know, it's so funny because as slaves, they would have been treated terribly. They would have been whipped and beaten. Their sons would have been fed to alligators. Who knows what the, what the soldiers did with their daughters and the pretty girls among the Hebrews and... Um, just this terrible slave treatment. We know that it got worse in the end. More, more bricks, less straw. And, and they wanted to go back to it. You know, the Bible says that, a, that a dog retur- as a dog returns to its vomit. That's how we return to our sins so many times and how we forget, you know, the, how terrible it was. And here they're, they're, they're wanting to go back and willing to go back because they're afraid of stepping out. And they're afraid of, of, of what's going to happen. And so there's this tendency in your life and in my life today to go back to the world, to go back, you know, and the enemy lies to us and tells us that and that, and, and that your life would be easier and you'd have less trouble if you would stop serving the Lord or going to church or being part of a growing church, that, that, that you wouldn't have spiritual battles and struggles. And part of that would be true. You wouldn't have any reward or joy either, but it's a lie of Satan. It's a lie of the enemy and a temptation of Satan to always want to go back. And we don't want to be like the children of Israel. We don't want to be the, these, you know, the, the ones that murmured and complained against Moses and were afraid. You know, when they get to the end, they, they sent out ten spies, right? And, and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back with good report. And the others said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to squash us. And they were afraid and, and they all died. The Lord got angry with them and they, 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 they never made it into the promised land. But God's people still got there. And this is going to begin a, a pattern. When, whenever they get into a hard time, they begin to complain. They get scared. They begin to doubt God. And then they begin to get mad at Moses and blame Moses. And so that, that may be a pattern that we're going to see. You guys will get scared. You'll get mad. You'll begin to doubt God. And then you'll start getting mad at me. I'm ready. 
I got my CCW. I'm ready for you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I won't shoot you. <laughs> I'll make sure you're ready to meet Jesus first, at least. Um, so, the, j- just a terrible pattern. This is the beginning of this pattern of of this doubt and this 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 you know not walking and not trusting and being afraid all the way through. And it's a picture. And 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 you know, to their credit or to their defense, maybe a little bit, they 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 were slaves. They didn't have the word of God. You know, we we think today, and I think it's comparable. I think it's about the same. But we think today, man, if I had a cloud of fire, a cloud of fire, how about a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke that led me in the day and in the night? And if I seen the 10 plagues in Egypt and I seen the death of the firstborn, I'm getting ready to witness the crossing of the Red Sea. God brings quail that fly knee high when we want meat. When we're thirsty, we hit a rock and water comes out. You'd think if you witnessed all that, you wouldn't have any problem trusting God. And you, you look at what these people have, and you think, what is wrong with you? And, and yet God might look at us in the same way when we're afraid and when we doubt. And we have exactly what they have. And the same testimony and say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you trust me yet? Why will you not step out? Why will you not walk? And it's easy for us to look at them and, and, and you know, blame them, but yet we're, we're walking in their shoes. But here's where the pattern begins. And in verse 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. So Moses tells them what the Lord said. He prophesies here that, yeah, you see that army, they're coming. You're going to see them today. By this time tomorrow, you will see them no more. And, and I don't think Moses knew exactly how God was going to do it yet. But God told him he was going to. And he stepped out in faith and he told him. He said, the Lord will fight for you. That's been one of our themes, right? God, our God will fight for us. We, we've done it out in Nehemiah 4. Another place in the scripture where the Bible says that our God will fight for us. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Okay. Underline. Highlight. Mark. Tab, verse 15. That, 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 that's a key verse in all the Bible. For us, for you, for me. And so, you know, it's funny because Moses is there and he's telling the people, be strong. Our God will fight for us. And, and then he goes and he starts, you know, crying out to the Lord, oh God, help. Like, why do you go to the Lord? Because I'm afraid and things are going to go bad and God help. And he, he begins to cry out to God. And then God shows up and God says, Moses, Basically what God says in, you know, street language today, God says, Moses, stop praying. What are you praying for? Go forward. You know, in life, there's a time, right, where God's already told you what to do. And then there's a time where you put on your big boy pants and you stop hiding behind. Oh, I'm going to pray about it. And I'm praying and praying and praying. Well, God's already told you like 14 times what to do. And then when I come and I say, hey, what are you going to do? And you say, oh, I'm going to pray about it there comes a point where God says, stop praying and go do what I told you to do. Moses, why are you coming to me to, to pray and ask me to do something I already told you I was going to do? I already told you the Egyptian army is coming this time tomorrow. You're not going to see him. There's going to be victory. Be strong. And then Moses goes and goes, God, the army's coming. The army's coming and they're going to kill us. And God goes, Moses, stop praying. I just told you like 30 seconds ago. It's going to be okay. Now go tell the people to step out and do something. Go tell the people to march. Go tell the people to go forward. And I underline that for us. Go forward. Go tell the people to go forward. And, and I think that's what God's telling us. I think that's what God's calling us to do is to go forward, to step out. It's time. You know, go for it. Step out. And stop praying. Stop crying about it. Tell the children to go forward. 
But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go out on dry land through the midst of the sea. And indeed will harden the hearts of Egyptians and they shall follow them. And so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army and the chariots of his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over the Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And in verse 19, it says, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before them before them, and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of, the, of Israel. And thus it, thus it was a cloud and darkness to, to the one, and it gave light by night to the other. And so that one did not come near the other all that night. So God protected them that night. There was light on one side where Israel's were, and it made it completely dark on the side where the Egyptian army was. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right, and on their left. And so two walls of water, as you've seen depicted many times in pictures, where the, the wind had pushed a, a channel right through the middle, and there was walls of water, one on the left, one on the right. They went through on dry land. And now it came to pass in the morning, which that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels, so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the, when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh, so that none came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So there's where the Bible records that many of the Egyptians were, were dead on the seashore. So they had washed up to sea dead. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. In verse 31, I want you to read it this way and write this down. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Tuila. Hey, really quick, let's close with First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there with me real briefly. Hey, I want to tell you something about our God. We serve the same God who parted the Red Sea. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is entitled Old Testament Examples. And, and this is Paul giving us and talking to us about um, what we just read in, in Exodus. And so I just want to, we only got a minute left, but I just want to read through it really quickly. And it says, Moreover, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that flowed, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And so they came to the edge of the promised land and they didn't go in. And and, and these same people, you know, they were afraid. And in all the stories of faith stories and in all these ways, we often point out that God makes sure and He records for us there was a group of people that were afraid. And because they were afraid, they didn't step out and God didn't use them and they missed it. And it's it's hopefully an example for us that we don't want to be those people. We don't want to be the people that are afraid to step out. Now, we, we don't want to go anywhere that God's not called us. We don't want to go anywhere that God doesn't go with us. That's that's not the point, nor nor ever the, the goal. Always to go only where God's called us. But when God's called us, and when we're standing at the edge of the Red Sea, we, we, we know that we're going to cross on dry land. When God calls us to go into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, we, we want to follow. You know there's some typology that, that's described there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And just, you can make a little note of it if you want. Or, um, it's, the Egypt is a type of the world. And, and that's, that's explained through the scriptures. Is that there's this um, New Testament transition in life of, of sanctification that, that happens in the life of the believer and it's all pictured for us through the Exodus story. So Exodus is a type, or um, Egypt is a type of the world. You, you were once, you know, a sinner who, who by nature, um, a son of disobedient. And so then as, as you come to Passover, we, we celebrate Passover there after the, the first thing that's going to happen before they leave Egypt is the Passover. And the Passover represents Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which, which is able to forgive you of your sins and wash you and cleanse you and give you a new life as you receive and as the blood of Jesus Christ washes your sins. The next thing we see is we see him um, being led by a cloud of fire um, and, and a pillar of smoke. It's a representation of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then they go through the Red Sea. And it says they were baptized into the Red Sea. And, and so we, we know that, um, that there's two baptisms that we experience. Water baptism at crossing the Red Sea. Water baptisms. Some say as they came the other side 40 years later over the Jordan River. Crossing again was was was. Um, the baptism into the Holy Spirit, but the, but he, the, they could represent either Red Sea water baptism and the whole, whole baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leading us. Amen. Let's not be scared. Let's stand. Let's stand and be bold, and let's step out for Jesus. Let's have the worship team come up, close us in a closing song, yay or nay. I'll just pray. Let's pray, and then we'll eat some cookies or something. Um. You guys ready to step out? You know, one of the things that God's really been impressing upon my heart, and, you know, I don't know, maybe on Sunday uh, I can work this into the, the message, and, you know, been trying to, and, and it's, it's for me. It's not, it's not something that, that's really, you know, and, and that's often the way times God works. God, God speaks to my heart, and maybe it's for us, maybe it's for somebody else too. I know it's for me personally. But, but I really feel like a big part of what we have to be doing here and what our goals have to be is we have to have a heart for the lost. We really do. And, and, you know, I don't know. I don't think that's something that I naturally just have or I'm super, you know, excel in that area. But I know it's a goal and it's something I'm going to be seeking the Lord for personally, that God would continue to grow and increase my heart for the lost. And, you know, I, in building churches and in, in, in wanting to see a church grow, you know, um, we, we can grow with, with people coming from other churches and other people who were in a different church last week. They're in our church this week. But who cares, right? I mean, what, you know, that, that, that's, that's okay. That, that's not what we want, though. And that's not how you build a healthy or, 
or, or good church. We, we want to see lost people come to Jesus. We want to see our church grow with new believers, people that were going to hell, that, uh, that now have a family, that now have a, 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 a home church and, and you know, a place where we have community and we, we build love and we build. And that happens with, with, with a heart for the lost. And, you know, the great thing about being in a community that's less than 1% evangelical Christian, that means there's 99 to 1 people out there that, that need Jesus and, and that, that we have to have a heart for them. Amen? Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for the Exodus story. We thank you how it's, it's a picture, God, of our, of our New Testament lives of being dead in our sins and saved by the blood and, and of Jesus Christ washing our sins away and, and crossing the Red Sea, God, and receiving water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being led by a, a fire at night and a pillar of smoke, a cloud in the day. And Lord, as your Holy Spirit leads us through this life, God, and Lord, help us just to have a relationship with you through your Holy Spirit and as your Holy Spirit leads us. And as we just walk in a newness of life and, and walk in a, in a closeness to the Holy Spirit and God, that, that we would just know your will for our lives because your Spirit would be leading us. We pray for, for each one of us tonight, God, that uh, we would have a heart for the lost. And Lord, that, that our, we would just have a, a mentality of outreach, a mentality of, of evangelism, a mentality of just seeing people come to know Jesus. And God, that as we, as we cross over this vine and we have this lease in our hand that uh, we could sign this week and a building that we could begin to occupy as soon as September. And Lord God, we pray, Father, that as we do that, we, we have to grow as a church for it to work. And Lord, that, pray that that growth would, would come from, from us reaching out and seeing new people come to Christ and seeing people get saved through, through the love of a church that, that loves people that walk through the doors. And God, help each one of us to be ministers and help each one of us, Father, to, to love the people that you bring and the people that are in our lives. And God, that, that um, as we, we have a bigger building and more empty chairs, that God, we would invite our neighbors and our friends to fill those chairs. And God, that the heart, again, would, would, would just be, God, to, to serve you and to do what you called us to do. And, and, and Lord, to build the kingdom of God. And, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.